Just a quick warning, when me and Tom get passionate or a bit nervous, we tend to swear more than usual. So just keep that in mind when you're listening to our podcast. I actually ate so many pistachio nuts, I got an allergy. Well, I mean, one good idea in 10 years, then we should give him that, shouldn't we? <laughs> and you, you were patting your head because you thought his fucking hair was on fire. Armed robber there, I just shot him in the chest. Yeah. Stole all the money. Finally, you're admitting to it. We've been looking for that money for, for 10 years. I'm Phil. I'm Tom. And we're the co-founders of Honest Burgers, and this is the Honest Podcast. Why are we doing a podcast, Tom? We are ripping the plaster off the last 10 or so years of how Honest Burgers started in a muddy field in a tent outside of Brighton and is now a national burger chain with over 45 restaurants and over 900 people that work for us. Oh, we're going to be honest. <laughs> okay, welcome to this episode of the Honest Podcast. And we're joined by, I don't want to say a special guest because that doesn't really feel yeah, he's right special. in that sense. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that was more the guest. My I was kids thinking. think I'm special. Oh, but, um, still little, but you know. We are joined today by Dorian, who is the uh, uh, third co-founder of Honest. Um, joined us after our heady tent days, um, about a year into the business. Um, and we wanted to get him along to just talk a little bit about his side of things. You've come up in a few stories already, Dorian. Yeah, we blamed um, you for all the bad stuff. Yeah, really. I haven't heard any of these stories yet, so I'm sure I'm going to contradict most of them. Yeah. <laughs> but quick question before we get going, is is there any cameras running here? Am I being... Yeah, there is cameras, filmed, So yeah. I can't do... Okay, good to know. What were you... Well, hang on. Every, well, just pulling drawn. faces, you know. Absolutely fine. No, picking noses. Okay, cool. Okay, kick off. So, yeah. Welcome, Dorian. Thank you. Um, why don't you just sort of... Tell us a bit about yourself. <laughs> Great. What were you well, up to before I started, actually? Let's, let's, let's go back there. Like, what, what was your, up yeah, to? Yeah. Well, how far back do you want to go? I've been around a long time. So. How, how are you in hospita hospitality? How I were you? I always, I always kind of blame my mother, but I don't want to really get too far down that rabbit hole. She's an Italian woman, housewife, grew up in a house that, you know, grew vegetables and cooked everything from scratch and... I guess uh, we were pretty poor, so everything was coming out of the garden and we made the most of everything. So I think that's where the food passion came from initially. And then I went to school and I was really rubbish at everything, so uh, I just wanted to play sport. And um, by the time I got to 16, 17, I realised that I didn't have any qualifications, so I needed to do something. And um, like most people, I went to work in a in a restaurant, in a hotel, in a beautiful town called Newport in South Wales. Lovely. Which was crazy, um, but fun. And I certainly learned a lot about life. Did you learn a lot about food from your mother then? I think um, I, think I learned to treat food with, with respect and to um, throw nothing away. We used everything. That's the thing, because if your mother had had an Instagram account about 50 years ago, she'd probably have about 20,000 followers. She, she would, <laughs> all she, she shit. would imagine be. All the skills she had back then, you would you'd pay good money to yeah, learn those true. skills now, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, I think, you know, that's the way people live back then. My dad didn't really have a steady job and he was in and out of work. So, you know, like most families back then, the mums took responsibility for everything. She had part-time jobs, cooked, cleaned. Um, we never had a car, so she'd go shopping every single day for 
you know, meat, etc. I mean, you know, she was the most healthy, well, still is the most healthy 90-year-old woman I know, but she's got incredible biceps. Yeah, amazing. Bigger than yours. Yeah, definitely bigger than mine. <laughs> definitely bigger than mine. There was a period in the army as well, right? Because I think I'm, I'm sure I've heard the stories of working in the mess hall and sort of taking yeah. charge of that. Look, I, I really didn't know what to do. So I went to work in a hotel and I worked through all the different departments. I worked in banqueting, I worked in the kitchen on reception, cleaning rooms, did all that kind of stuff. And really got, you know, I was earning 50 quid a week, so I thought I need to do something different here. So I joined the Royal Air Force, yeah, not the Army, but, yeah, mm. same, same. Um, um, it was a spur-of-the-moment decision. A friend of mine joined up and called me and said, it's all great here, you get to play cricket every day. <laughs> so, um, yeah, within a few weeks I'd gone, and my mother basically cried for days when I left. And... Um, Still does now, I think. But, but yeah, no, I mean, I think the military was great for me because it gave me a little bit of uh, discipline and gave me some structure and, and I stayed there for 10 years and then um, opened a restaurant in Lincoln, which was um, a long, long time ago now, but it was a Pierre Victoire franchise French restaurant. I did everything myself, sort of built it myself, did the property deal myself, hired everyone, trained everyone, cooked in the kitchen, ran the front of house, did all the book work, payroll, and um, lost loads of money, which was... Um, <laughs> yeah, what was your... You got your fingers burnt, right? The first, first restaurant you opened, was was it a success for, for a time or was it...? Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was an incredible buzz. We opened a French bistro with a pianist in... In Lincoln, there was only a one. Pianist? Of, I never knew there was a pianist involved. There was a, a pianist. pianist. You had a pianist in the restaurant. Playing or you all, opened all the time. Every evening, we had we had piano. Jesus, wow, fancy pants. It was it was really Proper. it was really. What was it, the dress code? Oh well, we were you know scruffs, scruffs, scruffs right, not yeah. like waistcoat, jeans and, and no jeans and jeans and t-shirts. We were we were well ahead of our time. God, that, and, um, that contrast with the pianist a little bit, mate. Right? Because you, you it was well kind of time Harry Connick Jr. jazz and uh, upbeat yeah. stuff. We had okay. cues. So not like stuffy. No, no, no. It was fun, loud. He was a young guy, student, okay. about 19, 20 years old. Really good fun. Cues at the door. Loads of people coming in to eat. Sales were fantastic. Profitability was rubbish. And, um, and yeah. what, why was that? I guess I didn't know what I was doing. Is Paying it? too much money to the fucking pianist. Yeah, no, sounds no, no, no control over what was going on. Daily changing menu. You know, it was a lot of fun for two years. And then I realized I was pretty much bankrupt uh, and uh, went to get a job working for um, a high street restaurant brand, which is really where I learned about the high street. And um, So was that Strada? No, it was, um, it was a Scottish and Newcastle brand. Uh, an old Italian restaurant brand, which doesn't exist anymore. They had a few sites, uh, but big part of a big company. Um, and that was pretty miserable. No computers back then. Everything was done by hand. Uh, yeah, really difficult education into management. And I'd never what, run a how restaurant. How long ago was that then? What sort of year were we that talking? That must have been, uh, I left the RAF in 96. So 98. So that's the kind of rock and roll era of restaurants, I think. A lot of what was okay back then is very much not okay now right yeah when you look back at the standards everything was bought in frozen um everything pre-prepared not made by the individual businesses but bought from you know big industrial kitchens the quality was terrible the service is awful um and I, really generally like really shitty 
vibes in kitchen spaces back then. I remember, yeah. I mean, obviously, I wasn't working in restaurants then, but from what I gather, yeah, you've got the the worst of the chefing reputation was kind of made during the 80s and 90s, wasn't it? Like working 100-hour weeks and drinking too much and not sleeping, that kind of vibes. Yeah, it was pretty normal back then to uh, do a shift in the morning, go to the pub, have a few beers, and then go back and work again in the evening. And that was... Everyone was doing it, so there's no there's no surprises. It was a bit of a car crash place to work, but it was pretty normal back then. Chaotic and yeah, a very aggressive macho male environment in the kitchens, which was um, yeah. And uh, what I'm really pleased that's all over with now. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, what fast forward? Yeah. When did you start to find your feet in the hospitality industry? Then when did you start working for businesses that you kind of had more respect for and would were being more successful so I got lucky really I met I met a girl and she persuaded me to come to London and um when I came to London I met a guy called Chris Bennions who now runs the Ivy Cafe concept and Ivy Asia he, I think he does all the food development for bills uh he started Coat from scratch and grew that to, to about 50 sites and sold it so I met him and we just got on really well he was a young guy who um who had just started Strada, the Italian restaurant concept, that were kind of doing all the things that other businesses should have been doing, fresh ingredients, everything made themselves, good quality olive oil, fresh pizza dough made in the sites, wood-fired ovens, you know, all the basics, really, that Italian, good Italian food kind of deserves and uh, was making a big success of it. And, yeah, I kind of started working with him, opened 50 stores, and um, that's really where I learned... Um, everything there is to know, I guess, about running restaurants. So. Yeah, like sliding doors moment. I, my first ever job at university in Brighton was in Strada. Yeah, that's so weird, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you weird. never came down though. Harold, who also, yeah. Harold used to work for, for us as like an NED. He, did he kind of similar path to you as Strada? Yeah, very similar. We, we basically worked together for a long period of time doing the same things uh, in different parts of, London and the, the the country. We did like kind of area manager roles. Yeah, area manager, ops managers, regional managers. Uh, we worked our way up through the ranks together, and um, yeah, into kind of board positions, I guess. So yeah, it was quite funny that uh, you were working in Brighton, um, and you must have been what, like eighteen or something. I was like twenty. I would have been but twenty-one, maybe. First first job as a so student, just drink, that? drinking all the stock. Oh mate, I used to eat, eat. I used to basically smuggle beers into the kitchen so I'd get ribeye steak for lunch basically every time. <laughs> I just walk in there, put a couple beers in the fridge, get a steak for lunch, and I'd always have. I actually ate so many pistachio nuts I got an allergy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to sit at the bar. I'd have one pocket full of of like um, non shelled pistachio nuts and then another pocket full of the shells, and I would just be sitting there eating them behind the bar. All day long. Where were the pistachio nuts coming from? They were from the bar. They were I like used the to bar. steal them from the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't remember pistachio oh, nuts. Maybe that you're the reason why we took pistachio nuts off. Probably. Because um, we, we were losing so many. Yeah. And yeah, and the man, you know the manager down there, Greg. I remember Greg. He, who he got been, shot. He got shot. shot in the back yeah. three times. He must have showed, honestly, every shift he'd show a customer his, his bullet, bullet wounds. wounds. Yeah, yeah. Normally women trying to show. He was, he was quite, I don't think he was quite, he was, didn't, didn't seem like a very happy man. But Very interesting story. He used to run a restaurant in South Africa and he drove. He used to take the take-ins back to his house and one night he drove into his driveway and there was an armed robber there and just shot him in the chest. Yeah. 
I stole all the money. <laughs> Brixton, I remember, I mean, get just just on that, I remember when we opened Brixton, I used to take cash out because we didn't have PDQs to begin with. We were taking all cash. Yeah. And I used to walk envelopes yeah. of cash yeah well me across too across the high street and put them into the atm at the santander yeah. or on high street. The, the a23 you, could, yeah. you have to feed the money cash. in you yeah. feed the money in and the amount of time I remember one i don't ever told you to this one time it happened a few times because we were living with helen's mum up in norbury what so. you kept the money <laughs> <laughs> finally you're, you're admitting <laughs> because to it you've been so... looking for that money for, <laughs> for 10 years yeah uh you're so you say so, when you use a machine you, you put your card you take cash out right and it, yeah. I was putting stuff, money in, and then I remember one time I left the card in the machine. We should never let him do no. this. Yeah. Really. I left really the dangerous. card machine. I got all the way back to Helen's, and I was lying. I was like, shit, I've left the card. Like, does that mean someone behind me could have got in and emptied our <laughs> account? And I was like, no, I can't. And it's like, you still need a pin code, don't you? Too? Well, I was like, I couldn't sleep. So I went back at like two in the morning. With a hoodie on. Yeah, yeah. literally. I'm not joking. I got out of bed. I went back at two in the morning in the car. Um, to see, you know, if there was, you know, if the card was there or if any, I don't know what I was expecting to see. Obviously, nothing. And then I went back in the morning when it, when it opened and asked if the money had been deposited and they found the card. It was, it gets chewed up and ends up in some box in the in the yeah. machine. They gave me the card back, but I did that about three times. I feel I feel like we're maybe uh, digressing here. Um, what? So you're you're working for Strada now. You're kind of in hospitality you're you're finding you're, you're good at it yeah I, I finally found a job that i thought i could do and was enjoying and worked in a brand and concept i really believed in so i think i spent my previous sort of 25 years wondering what i would do myself so this was the moment for me really that kind of everything fell into place and uh, I suddenly started seeing some success. We opened a lot of stores, built a fantastic team, standards were high, and, um, yeah, it was one of the most talked-about brands in the UK at the time. I think it sold for 140 million quid in the end to a much bigger business that ruined it all in the end. But, you know, Looking it was... Now, a, it's, what is it now? Like, a handful of sites? Yeah, maybe five from. or six, yeah, maybe five or six. But, I mean, yeah, I, I guess that was the moment where I've kind of figured out what success looked like and what you needed to do to achieve it. So um, that was invaluable for uh, future business uh, ventures. And, you know, when you guys uh, introduced yourselves to me, then, you know, it just felt like that was the time to put a lot of that stuff into practice and regurgitate some of those processes to, um, to do it all again. So how did Phil and I come into your lives then? What? what well, I'm not sure remember, what you was... can remember about it, but my memories are uh, pretty rubbish, to be honest. I think it was it was a pretty opportunistic. Yeah, well, you were living with you were living with a friend, a brother of one of my friends, right? Yeah. So you were in Brighton studying, working in Strada, stealing cashew nuts or whatever you do, pistachios. pistachios. Yeah. And um, drinking champagne with uh, Logan, what's his name? Ewan. 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 And um, not drinking champagne, drinking warm Strongbow. Drinking his beach. champagne. <laughs> he, he had a big. He had a big budget, didn't he? From memory. Yeah, Ewan. Ewan was not your, your average student, but that's no, not going no, to no. him. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I guess that's where the intro came from. 
and uh, you guys rocked up at my house in Clapham with a bunch of rusty, greasy fryers and grills and... Um, Covered your decking in burger oil. grease. Yeah, yeah. which thankfully um, I've moved out of that house now so I don't have to look at that stain anymore. But yeah, that so that was a moment where we met and you, you know, amazing really that you was so proactive to get off your asses and do something like that. Came all the way to London, cooked cooked burgers for me. I think they were pretty shit, weren't they? To be honest, but what I liked, <laughs> what I liked about juice comes out. Here we go. Well, I've all I've probably never told you this before, but they were pretty crap. But what I really, you know, the 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 big pull, of course, was the was having to work with you guys who were, you know, super young, super enthusiastic, very ambitious and creative. And the idea of uh, honest and the and the name honest in amongst what you were what you were doing was a huge appeal. Yeah, to the me. name the name was the was the big, far more big appealing than anything else. It? Yeah, I mean that's obvious. So, so we, we I, were nearly called Barton and Eels. So maybe I'd forgotten maybe that. It that was a now. that was a Connie revelation in yeah. in another episode. Yeah, really, that, uh, that would definitely not have happened have if happened. you'd arrived called Barton and Eels. Oh, maybe Barton and Eels would have been thinking? the next. Biggest burger chain around the world. Who knows? Sounds like a seafood bar it's concept. Terrible. I mean, yeah. Well, we 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 made the right choice in the end. So, so yeah. We, so we rocked up. I remember. I do actually remember it. And I remember driving away thinking because Carmelo was there as well. Right? Carmelo was there. And I remember became thinking, our executive chef years who later. Byron at who the time. Who the fuck is this guy? From fucking Byron, and we were like, "What? What's he there for? They're gonna like, <laughs> steal our ideas, man." You didn't have any ideas. We had all the ideas. Well, all the ideas. <laughs> you must have kept them the to yourself. The foundations didn't come out that of the night. business were the, in, the Spaniard in burger ideation phase, right there. <laughs> the Spaniard. The Spaniard. Yeah. Did we cook yeah. that that night? I think you did. Yeah. It's a fucking tasty burger. We basically that's still make that burger. It's any like the, Byron burger. That, that's basically that the Mendisa burger, isn't it? Just pretty know. much. Yeah, it's been tweaked. Just a just slightly non-PC name, but um. But yeah, so we, I remember driving away thinking, can we trust this man? Is he going to stab us in the back? How do we know him from anyone? Well, yeah. We didn't have anything, did we? And then I was like, actually, we've got fuck all. Like, <laughs> yeah, what can he do? Say, what I can don't he remember steal? that. We I did. We had a conversation. thinking we've just met a multimillionaire who's going to basically get us a restaurant. That's what I thought. I, I did think like, uh, like when, when, the, um, when the dust settled, I thought you were going to bankroll us a restaurant. Dorian wasn't a multimillionaire, by the way. He's looking no. at me like he wants me to make sure that's clear. Yeah, like, well, he, my, said he wasn't a multimillionaire. I think my ex-wife was, but certainly she didn't give me any of the money. So um, <laughs> you were barking up the wrong tree there. But I remember, I remember very, very, um, very well that night lying in bed talking to Liz, my wife. Um, I think she was my wife then. Can't remember. It's all a bit blurry. No, she um, wasn't. You got married when we opened... I remember your wedding when we opened Brixton. And just saying, honest, I'm going to have to do something with this. Like, it was a, the most incredible moment. And even now, like, yeah, brings goosebumps thinking about it. Mm. Yeah, because I do remember you at that stage. You were then like, right, lads, if we're going to do this. Well, firstly, I remember coming back to reality where the dreams of you bankrolling us um, with a restaurant were well and <laughs> yeah. truly fucking shat on when you were like... How much money said, have you got? You said the very clever words of, right, I want to get involved, guys. I'll match whatever you guys can put in. Which <laughs> was a 
fucking you you really you you knew what you were saying with that phrase because you knew we had fuck all you're like this would be an easy one well i think for me it was not a question of uh whether we could make the brand a success it was whether you guys had the right attributes to you know contribute towards growing a bit a business so we set about doing brixton which came a little bit later of course but i wanted to know that you guys had the right yeah kind of energy levels and commitment to, to make it work, hence why... Yeah, because we'd only met for, what, a couple twice. of hours by that stage. I think twice really, or three yeah. times. I think mm. I came to Brighton once to see you guys. Yeah, you once came to Brighton once, yep. Clapham in a pub. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you found Brixton, the site, didn't you, in Brixton Village a few months later, and... Um, well, yeah, because actually what would be good, because the initial plan was let's put a proper business plan together. Let's try and attract, you know, real investment from, you know, a VC, or I think you had a couple of people that you'd known along the way that had a bit of money that might be interested in backing you. But it was a it was always going to be, let's open a proper restaurant, right? Yeah, Brixton wasn't the plan, definitely. No, well, you guys were doing festivals or that was the kind of general idea of what you wanted to do in the beginning, right? And then for me, yeah, it had restaurant written all over this uh, as an opportunity for us. So, yeah, we wanted to build an idea and a plan that would give us a high street restaurant. Soho was, I think, probably yeah. plan A. And I think you were just getting fed up and hating your job and desperate to do something. So we're pretty proactive. Wow. It's good you brought that up, Dorian. I was <laughs> hating the job that you very kindly got for me. Well, you know, we've discussed that. Giraffe, South Bank, yeah, hell bite the hand of Fiji, man. Yeah, exactly. Could no one else would take that. you, would bite they? Bite the fucking hand off, cut it off, and throw it in the sea. Like that was the worst job ever. I mean, but you got caught eating all those all those nuts, right? So no one was, was going to employ was you Strada. after that. I was, I was an epic waiter at Strada, but but yeah, giraffe. Because because basically, what my memory of that time is, Phil, were well, you were diligently working your notice period in brighton me yeah you were the I, only one getting paid <laughs> no you were doing consultancy for bills well, i think I at the doing, time you I were was, doing something for bills no it was giraffe that's giraffe, why, that's sorry, why that's it was why, giraffe yeah 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 i was getting paid a little bit but not much so then it was like how do we set up a business now because we didn't have we had very little branding we had the words we had honest burgers we didn't have a full menu we didn't have a, a concept that would translate itself to a restaurant at all did we we had you know a few burgers that we had done we had that awful photo shoot that me that i did with connie's little brother mm -hmm. in brighton that's where the spaniard came out and the plowman's <laughs> yeah but the plowman's burger yeah oh my god blue cheese i mean good 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 tasting burger yeah just just not quite on uh on uh kind of nice brand level yet but we got I think it for me the, the the most important thing that ever happened to us was Brixton. I really do. I think that if we hadn't opened Brixton, I think the whole business would be completely different to what it is today. I agree. He loves saying this, by the way, because he knows it's it his was idea. My idea. Yeah, yeah. And I have to strong arm both of you into it. Well, I mean, one good idea in ten years, then we should it's... give him that, shouldn't we? <laughs> One. Well, the, the second one came we'll recently it, with the with the regenerative farming. We'll but, call yeah. it the founding idea. 
Oh, yes. How dare you? The, the concept idea. Come oh, on, guys. I, I, mean, I haven't got the energy to argue this anymore. You didn't so take that take much. It. You didn't take that much um, strong arm. And until I, still, I remember getting you down there and you seeing it, and then you're like, yeah, this is a great idea. Yeah, to give right. you credit, I, uh, I, I'd been introduced to Brixton Village by Carmelo, actually, previously to that, because they tried to regenerate Brixton Village a few years earlier, which failed. I remember going down there to see it then thinking, my God, this place is a disaster. And, you know, it was pretty dangerous back then. So when you re, when you brought it up again years later in 2010 or wherever it was, my initial reaction was that's a, you know, that's a no-go. But once I went down there and saw how there was changing, Frank and Manker had opened, and there were some really cool, small, independent businesses trading well, and there was a real buzz down there. Um, well, yeah, yeah, Frank and had been going for, for years before us. They really have yeah. pioneered that that space. Yeah, and, and had queues. They had queues before, you know, queues became cool again. Um, and, yeah, it gave me the, you know, and obviously it was super cheap rent. We built it for nothing. So it was very low-risk opportunity to open what what was really a test kitchen, wasn't it? Somewhere yeah, for us that's to, what we thought, yeah. Yeah, somewhere for us to cook and develop a concept and a, and a menu. Um, and I can't remember how we then t- turned that into a restaurant. I can't remember that evolution or those conversations, but Jesus, that build process was a ball ache, wasn't it? I think it was important though. It was good. <laughs> it was good to like, cause we still didn't really know each other that well. Me and Phil obviously had quite a bit of history from, from working in Brighton. I think it was good to, for, us all to kind of bond a little bit because because one thing that's really important and I whenever I meet um young business owners now and they're on their own I'm always like you need to find someone man you younger need to find than someone you, you to mean. lean on what? younger than you you mean yeah well most people are younger than you do so well, that's true it's um it's trying to find youngsters <laughs> who are like if they're, they're going out on the street for business on their own I'm literally like you'll you'll probably break yourself if you mm. try and do this on your own definitely street a, food yeah it's a hell of a burden and honest wouldn't have been anywhere near as successful as today if if we didn't have any one of us three around the table because it was it was a really good like uh, we all brought different things to the table right we're very different personalities as I think is well established now certainly amongst us three but probably in the business as well but and obviously that wasn't planned, but the stars, I think, definitely aligned for us and that we all did have different personalities and brought something different to the table. Yeah. Particularly me and you, I think it would have been really difficult if we both wanted to be in the kitchen all over the menu yeah, or you both wanted to be out. Yeah. If you did want to be out on the floor dictating service and culture and, you know, sort of people and ops and stuff. And I always say, I mean, look, you know, the, the, the influence I think you had on me and Tom was absolutely critical because you had... I was about to use the word corporate, and that's not fair, but it's probably the right word. More that commercial, you, yeah, commercial yeah, experience. And and in two ways for me, uh, and the, the two things I'll talk about, and would, I'll get you to talk about the bin example. Ah, uh, uh, the bin. No, because this, bin. I think it really is key um, because you brought this level of like just grit and professionalism that I don't think we'd have had i think we had it in us but we probably didn't realize nah, how important it was we definitely would have had it in us. especially nah, the, we, we worked hard we'd always it, worked hard yeah, before. But it's the, it was the like we was, had a kind of never say die attitude before we met dorian but what dorian gave us was like you never close when you should be open you never run out of food and you just drilled us all the i time. wonder if that 
and door i'm connecting the dots here has that did that come from having your fingers burnt in that franchise restaurant all those years ago where you were successful but you weren't you didn't the business wasn't successful you know you that's had a, customers yeah. through the door. God, i'm sure there was a question. terrified they were penetrating question well, it, from tom there yeah it could have been the same same thing right we could have had all the customers through the door feels like a great experience, but actually as a business, you're falling on your ass. Yeah. Yeah. I think having the ability to see into the future a little bit in terms of sustaining success as well, and all those little pieces you need to put in place to keep being su- successful in the future. Uh, you know, having a good day is great in a restaurant, but you need to be good every day. You know, it needs to be consistent. You need to uh, turn up every day with the right mindset. And um, I think I did learn the hard way for sure. But equally, I'd seen a business that did it well. So I kind of had that experience as yeah. well. And yeah, I think that was part of us getting to know each other for sure. Um, how you didn't hit me a few of those evenings in Brixton, I do, still don't know. But um, there's <laughs> yeah. still plenty of time for that, right? I uh, I punched other things. Yeah. <laughs> I punched like fridges and bars and ina- in, inanimate objects instead of your face. <laughs> but yeah, and Carmelo actually, I very nearly punched him. Oh, did you? Yeah, um, well, I remember. I remember that this we you brought him down to basically critique what I was doing <laughs> during a fucking busy Thursday night service. Oh, I'm getting, I wasn't this. I'm getting absolutely I turned this. over in the kitchen on my own, like completely unorganized, like no no real idea what I'm doing. And you and Carmelo just stood in front of the past being like, mm, yeah, maybe you should do it this way or maybe what about that? And I'm like, I'm going to fucking knock these two out in a minute. If they don't get the fuck out of this restaurant, I'm going to take them down. I really, yeah. I really remember It could have quite yeah. easily happened a few few sessions, didn't it? But, yeah. you know, we, we got through it and... Yeah, I mean, it was tough. It was tough, you know. Wait, wait, wait. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about oh, both of your bin, skills in the in well, the we've touched on it a couple. Of, I think we have touched it before, haven't we? Go on. Yeah, well, you, you love this. I do, because the confidence you both show is, like, is, is respectable. I and mean, it's almost, it's commendable that you, Dor, of all people, would, you know, you're, you're basically an electrician, right? Wow. The, the, some the people amount have said of, that. The yes. amount of volts you've had go through your body. Yeah. I did rewire my flat once in Earlsfield. And then it burnt down or? No, no, it's still there, still there. So, still it, there. yeah. What, what was going through your mind when you were decided to chop through a 32-amp cable? Well, one of, one of you told me that that, that kind of fuse box <laughs> had been in there Definitely, for like 300 yeah. years. Well, it looked it was, like it had, yeah. to be fair. And there's not a chance like that it could switches, be live. Yeah. So, and we had a different fuse box in there. Maybe it was Conroy Brown. Maybe he was like, yeah, Dorian, you do it though. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, we were, uh, I think Phil was still pretending to be working his notice at this stage because he didn't want to. Yeah, three months. Man of my word, you don't don't leave people in the shit. This is true. Three months. Wow. Anyway, so we were left to do all the hard graft, like painting and scraping, and we didn't have a design plan did we? we didn't have a plan so anyway i was stripping out the old wiring and um i think tom set 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 me up with this but <laughs> i was cutting away at the the old wires and it was an incredibly loud bang and it blew the end of the pliers or the the cutters off yeah in front of me and the whole market shook didn't it so it was an incredible vibration yeah. it was like a fucking gunshot <laughs> went off and you, you were patting your head because you thought your fucking hair was on fire. Was, well, that's what happened to my hair. I used to have hair before then. Oh, but it was man. a shockwave, which I've never experienced before. A shockwave went right through the building. 
It was, I mean, then they come round and the market come yeah, round to see what was no, going on. You, that, in, there are many circumstances where you could have died then and this whole fucking thing wouldn't have happened. I didn't know about but, any others. What, what were the other situations? As in if you didn't have a very, very good pair of pliers yeah, well, and probably... There's a lesson for everyone. Probably good fucking boots that had some, some earth to the ground. Mm. You know, I don't know how that works, but yeah. I know you, a good pair of shoes can save you from dying. Well, you had that when you angle grinding the legs off an Ikea table that wasn't, it wasn't quite no, fitting into the free, space. That was a fridge in Soho. Right. And you just, you sort of angle grind it, it bounced back and missed your femoral I, artery I, by about... I was in, yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was one of the stupid things. I remember going, to, this was, you know, we're skipping forward a bit, but when we, this is my stupidest maintenance thing. I'm in Soho and we're trying to save money to strip out the place before the builders came in. So we were like, I, I ch- chiseled up the floor tiles in there and I was doing a few bits and there was a walk-in fridge that was covered in mould and it was like disgusting to get it out of the kitchen in Soho. And I was like, oh, cool, I'll just get an angle grinder. And I, I, there was a, the office next door was getting um, refurbed and I walked into there, the builders, and I was like, can I borrow an angle grinder, please, mate? I'll give you a burger when we open. And he was like, yeah, sure. And I expected angle grinders like these little handheld things, you know, about 20 centimetres yeah, long. Yeah, a little wheel like yeah. that on the he end. He pulls yeah. out this fucking thing that's for like um, angle grinding paving slabs and shit yeah, like that. Yeah. It's this massive, great, <laughs> you know, same size as a kind of chainsaw. And I go in there and this is like seven, eight o'clock at night. I'm on my own and I'm just angle grinding this freezer, sorry, this walk-in fridge. And I hit, <laughs> I hit something that I shouldn't have hit. And the whole thing just goes right across my fucking side and literally misses my leg by like about three centimeters. Could have gone like, straight through. Fuck. <laughs> So, sorry, to, we had a, a little Uber Eats delivery um, yeah. from Brixton. So we were I was giving you guys shit for your shoddy handiwork in Brixton. That's and I'd right. like to resume that um, shit throwing because we haven't even talked about the floor yet, guys. Mm, I've forgotten the floor. How do we talk about the floor? I can't remember anything about the, the floor. The maintenance department, to be honest, in the early days was shocking. And We had a very small budget, up. to be fair, didn't we? What did Brixton cost? Seven point five thousand pounds. Yeah, so we had a small budget. To be fair, well, self-leveling compound springs to mind. Yeah, that's where we're going with this conversation. So, what did you? What did you do? Well, I sort of. I think maybe my brother told me that self-leveling compound was really easy to use. I think it was him. Clues in the title. See, I don't. I, say, yeah. I don't blame Clues Phil as much as you. You had you had many more years on you know DIY years <laughs> under your belt. That's no, true, man. I, I'm but, I'm far more <laughs> equipped now than I was ten years ago. True. So so I, I kind of do blame you more than than Phil on this one, door. Well, I'm happy to accept some responsibility, but again, you know, self leveling compound should be straightforward, shouldn't it? Put it on the floor and it levels itself and walk out the door. Job's did a good you, one. Did you? like go on youtube or check any form of videos or do anything other than just mix and pour i think it was i can't remember exactly the, the incident but i'm sure there was a bit of a rush was it a weekend job or something you need to get in and get it done and yeah. it had to be set in time anyway i think it was all right i thought i thought the results were quite reasonable i mean it, you could fucking twisted your ankle on it mate it, <laughs> it had like waves like this yeah. isn't it it was like <laughs> Quite bizarre yeah, how bad it, that worked out. It took us out. a while to rectify, didn't it? It was a, definitely a trip hazard. It's the most expensive floor we've ever done. How many mm. times did we do it? I can't About remember. Five yeah. until we decided to to finally rip the plaster off and just 
dig it up and start again. I think yeah. that went on for years, didn't it? That, that was generally quite recently. It was only about four years ago. No, yeah. three years ago, we did the Brixton Reverb and we put resin floor down. But they, we had to rip up, you know, probably yeah. four or five <clears throat> iterations of floor before that. So yeah, so we, we, we've established that none of us are very good at maintenance at this stage. Um, but how... Painting was good, though. I painted that shop front. Twice. Because we got the, the wrong green the first oh, whose one, fault remember? was that? That was yours, I think. Not a chance. We blamed you in the last podcast. Not a chance. I do remember you taking that. I think Connie just changed her mind. You took it quite well. because Three quarters of the way through. That was quite a big call then where, where money was very tight. And, and paint's expensive, right? Expensive, nice, nice paint is very expensive. It was really expensive paint. It took me hours to paint that shop front. There's a lot of glass to cut in around. But getting the right paint was really important, right? For the future well, of the brand. Exactly. If we got Even that paint wrong, we wouldn't be sitting here now, Even would we? Even though we've got about 25 <laughs> different t- shades of fucking green I, I, now. I'm sensing t- a tinge of sarcasm in your voice there. Big tinge. Dorian. You did it. You made the, you made the right call, Dor. I made, I made the right call. I wanted to keep Connie happy, so especially. What, what were you thinking when uh, we opened... probably listening. <laughs> when we opened the doors and we, oh. we, were, we were just chasing our tail all day long, right? For the first few months, it was like, well, I, I was anyway. I don't know about how you guys felt. I didn't feel, I felt very lucky that we were in this position, but I felt quite terrified that we were going to fuck it up because we just couldn't make enough food. Yeah. This isn't, this is going to, I don't want this to sound wrong, but I would say you probably had the steepest uh, learning, learning curve, curve from an, your own point of view, but for, from an honest point of view, as in we didn't really know what it took to serve that many burgers in our kitchen and how we were going to do it. And you were figuring that, whereas... For me, it was just another restaurant floor that was busy, and I'd I'd come from a restaurant in Brighton that had two-hour queues every night, pretty much, and I've been used to managing that. Um, And actually, if anything, this restaurant was like, you know, a quarter of the size. Yeah, yeah, no, that's um, that's very true. And the menu was 50 times simpler, so I was actually like, it wasn't that big a deal for me. Not to burst your well, bubble. I'd never worked in a kitchen before. Yeah. No, that's, my, that, that's my point. That's <laughs> yeah. what I was trying to say. So I wasn't, yeah, I think, you know, and all of us, by the way, I, mean, I did like, plenty yeah. of kitchen shifts as well. And we were all, I mean, I remember you, we used to cloche every individual yeah. burger. Oh, it's, yeah, those little like, individual they're, they're cloches. chocolate fondant. You know, um, yeah, you just get them from IKEA like, yeah, now. Those little, I've got, mate, I've got one in my genuinely, drawer. Genuinely, I found one of them in my attic the other day and I saw it. And my, the hairs <laughs> on the back of my neck went up, and I was like, "Keep talking, I'm going to get them." Yeah, oh, God. it's like when they find the fucking Jumanji board at the end of the film, and it's like, "Fuck!" Like I saw so that, that was your was idea, like, though, wasn't it? Yeah, of course it was. Because uh. because I was a stubborn mule, and I was like, "This is the only way we can do it." I mean, and you, but it was quite fun because you when you were you know when you do something over and over and over again, you become so good at it, and you could have like twelve burgers on a grill with these individual cloches over each burger and you could flick all of them off literally like a fucking Benny Harness chef you'd yeah, just be like yeah. you to put that to the test hang on we got it we got these I'm just trying to find my burger flipper oh you've got a that's, that's not a, that's not an honest spec burger flipper mate that's a no, cheap that's imitation fun. we're in my house by the way if you're wondering why why I just went and managed that's to get out a load of stuff pass, pass it here oh. go on then let's see if you still got it well, I definitely won't. Just explain again. So we basically... Well, but, mate, I can't work with this. This is like a fucking sex paddle. You've changed, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I 
Yeah, on, so we so need just, the tongs. We used to closh every burger yeah. because, for very good reason, we still, you know, because yeah. it was about melting the cheese. We didn't have a salamander then. We couldn't, we couldn't afford a salamander and we didn't have enough power to yeah, put a no even if we wanted to. Yeah, no it still doesn't have one in Brixton. So, they so, still closh every burger in Brixton. So I come along with an idea and yeah, I think... But, but how mad is it that <laughs> we, we didn't, didn't just, just get, think, get a bigger cloche? Well, I did. In the end, I, <laughs> I bought some oven trays and, and like turned them into cloches. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. That's easier. Instead of doing, you know... 12 cloches for 12 burgers, you can do one cloche. But, but it worked really well, didn't it? That's it. And then it was like that, and then in. And then because someone had to wash them up. Because oh, these were man. like, that was like touching the pits of hell, wasn't it? Like oh, yeah, if you caught were. one, like you flicked it, it hit your wrist or something. Like. Yeah, but the, the, oven, the oven tray was just as bad because it had, it had a little um, lip on it which would fill with fat and you'd pick it up, put it on the top, and then you'd just get boiling hot bacon and, and beef fat pour all down your arm. And it was like, oh, cool. Another, another one bites the dust. Yeah, that was, that was tough for you, I think. Everyone else had it easy, didn't they, really? Front, and- of, front of house was much easier to manage. We were, uh, we were busy quickly, though. That's uh, the thing that really shook me, the numbers we were doing really quickly. And then the queues, where do they come from? Like, these huge queues. I mean, genu- I, you tell genu- people yeah. they can't get in somewhere in this city... Burgers are cool. Brixton not is cool. anymore, mate. And in London. Mean, no, maybe not anymore, but back then. Actually, no, Dishoom is still doing it, right? You can still go to Dishoom. Yeah, we've got to be careful yeah. because hours. I think there's a lot of people that get queues. I mean, we're just maybe not we've one, got a lot not of one of them anymore. Wow. <laughs> so, so what happens when, when you open 43 restaurants, you don't need to queue so hard. Do you? Well, true. Like, I think we get we generate some queues still, but no, like it, it was it was nuts. that. But when you tell someone they can't come or they're not going to get in, yeah. they just want you more. Long wait times. I mean, I used to feel embarrassed about those queues. Like, there's people waiting for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Yeah, it was, it, it was uncomfortable. I was take. I remember having to stop taking names. I had to. I'd have this moment. Where not to... physical queues. I'm talking about not oh, just sending yeah. people away and get them to come back. It was they oh, were yeah, actually the physical... queuing all the way through the village. I mean, it was mad. Well, I that's when I got. I, well, I I'd probably just finished this in the first couple of weeks, and I was still doing a bit of both. Oh, we probably. And when I rocked up. We, yeah, we'd done it all by then. Yeah, no, we'd done are, a few. Yeah. We all rocked few. up to a ready-made restaurant. Yeah. I was like, boys, what's going on here? Here's your clip, apron, mate. Got my clipboard out and started doing it properly. <laughs> you you are considerably better at managing the door than any of us could ever have been. And, uh, yeah, but just just trying to deal with those. I mean, the wait times are just nuts, weren't they? Yeah, but people lapped it up. We were BYO for a while, weren't we? Didn't have oh, an alcohol license. Yeah. We had to send people off to go and get their own beer that and was, come back. That was good fun, though. I remember that that was a really mm. enjoyable... And and enjoyable, and I, and you will never have that again, like that moment, I don't think. The stars aligned for, for those... for everything to go that way. Because it was like Brixton Village was getting popular, burgers were getting popular, They're like the kind of... Well, in Twitter. Well, exactly. It was this kind of like, um, what's the fucking word? Vir- viralness to, yeah. to, to to cool food businesses that were coming around. And, and yeah, it was amazing, right? It was such a crazy and experience. And you were cycling to Marlebone to get the beef every day in yeah. the rain and shit. Do you remember? Not, I mean, it was madness. For, for, for used, a little while. I used to, well, but it was a know. good few weeks. And you always used to buy too little, didn't you? So you had to go back up again in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. It's like... <laughs> That's the best part of my day, that fucking cycle. Yeah. Out of that kitchen. I remember the best bit actually was so this at this stage I had basically not a penny to my name. Oh, and God. me and you <sighs> saying thank God, Sainsbury's meal deal, three pound yeah, meal yeah. deal. Ham hock. Mate, ham hock, snacker jacks, and a Fanta. Me and you would go yeah. and sit, you you obviously, you know, had a good a, a good career under your belt. 
you didn't need a three pound meal deal. But so every now and again, you take me to like Kausan and pay for my lunch. And I'd just be like, oh, it's so nice to not eat a fucking ham hock sandwich. Yeah. yeah we just sit on the in the courtyard out back and, and sit on the floor eating a Sainsbury's meal deal and then crack on. Yeah, then it was all about looking for site two. I think after a few months, we knew we had something pretty special, right? And yeah. um, well, that, that, sorry, on that point, because this is important, that's what I said earlier, there were two things. One of them was the grit. The second one that you bought that I don't think we'd have even, we wouldn't have even remotely thought about it for months, years, I reckon. But within within a couple of months, you were already thinking about number two. Yeah. And you knew that that wasn't a big step. But can you imagine? I've we've said this a few times, haven't you? Like, it wouldn't have even crossed my mind to even think about getting right. a second one, how we could have done it. We were making, we were generating revenue in Brixton, but like, but you knew how to do it. You had that experience. You had that guts to do it. And yeah, you went out there and that was key, I think. So. I remember one of the greatest things you brought to my attention was a chipper. <laughs> a chipper. And you fucking knew about that for a, for a long time, but you oh, waited. Man. Until you had like, blisters, we, we could have just bought a chipper in day one. We're like, oh, cool. <laughs> so this thing, basically, for anyone who doesn't know what a chipper is, it well, chops <laughs> potatoes at a speed of fucking like godlike um, efficiency. You just you pour a whole bag in, and basically, as fast as you can pour a bag of potatoes in, it spits out a perfectly chipped chip. Oh but, man, and I, it, I wish you hadn't brought chips up because that just gives me terrible memories of chips in Brixton, hand cutting, soaking. Oh god! Oh man, soaking. like that was Remember that, that fucking... was tough. Middle of winter, soaking chips in some random takes about warehouse. Three weeks to fucking because basically we we had we were learning our our craft very much. Yeah, this is, this hands, is bad. On. This hands on. This is the worst one. I know yeah. you're going to tell it. The soaking time, I've got one of these moments where I'm going. I don't know this if we should tell so this. Story. Maybe we shouldn't tell so this. So basically, story. we used to so we used to soak our chips because in <laughs> when you soak chips in in an, in an ambient temperature in water eventually they break the starch down on the outside. So it's just like if you were boiling a potato and you get that, that those kind of crispy fishery edges on the side of it, you can do that just by leaving chips in water to soak and they just slowly, slowly break down. And that's we stumbled across that technique in the summer of 2011 where it's fucking boiling hot outside. It's a warm summer, the I water think. water that you're soaking in is therefore, you know, a little bit warmer. And then when we got to winter... We were soaking these chips, but because it was outside, you're basically soaking them in fridge temperature water. Just didn't do anything. It just doesn't do anything. So we were like, fuck, what goes on? But the soaking of that summer, we, we bought this tank in Ikea, wasn't it? This massive 50-liter tub. Yeah. Plastic tub. And we filled it with with chips up in our storeroom. That's the mistake. Yeah. Where there's no we filled it with, with chips, filled it with water, took all the chips out, and then just left it there. We can't we can't move it now. It's got like 50 litres of water in it. There's no sink up here that we know of that we can use. So we just left it there until it basically turned into like this putrid, oh, stagnant man. potato water. Yeah, that was that disgusting. Was fucking, oh, I mean, me and you decided we were like, right, we're going to have to go into the it, women's yeah. toilets and pour it down the toilet. And we were like, we were, we were like sort of, waddling this fucking thing You're over. Like splashing your face. I remember splashing like, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I splashed a bit on you. And then it was like, right, let's just fucking go for it. We were both just like trying to splash each other with as much uh, of this It was worse water. than getting splashed with oil or what I thought was hot oil, going back to that story. But and the fish yeah, tank eaters. The fish, fish tank. tank. That was my idea. I was like, we need fish tank probes. That'll keep the uh, water. I knew that was your idea. Until it burned through the plastic box. I got electrocuted at that one. That was one of my electrocution days on my own again, out in our... 
our prep kitchen on uh, Summerlayton Road that does not exist anymore. It's been Basically, redeveloped. As a as a listener, what we'd like you to do is disregard the flagrant disregard for health and safety, and focus more on the how intent we were to make good homemade chips yeah that's, that's what we'd like you to take from that story I yeah, agree. But it's, it's interesting to learn more about the flagrant <laughs> disregard of uh, health and safety because no one talks about shit like that anymore like what do you mean was, well we just we did what we had to do right yeah actually well we didn't i don't think it was well anyway we still yeah i don't think i, I don't <laughs> think we had insurance back then so it probably wouldn't it wouldn't affect any insurance policies or anyone else frankly well, one apart thing from we, us yeah one thing i would stress is it was we only put ourselves in harm's way exactly which exactly. If, you know we uh, yeah. we probably wouldn't have sued each other and reese oh yeah poor reese i remember getting a mandolin for reese and not giving him a very good lesson in how to use a mandolin and literally <laughs> just Five first thing whoosh, just drop the end of his finger off and i was yeah. like cool all right reese uh, i'll uh, i'll take over now mate you can you go home and get that sorted out <laughs> <Off you> go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you, you don't know what you don't know, hey? Then we no. did not know health and safety back then. We do now. Well, let's yeah. So go back to the, the journey from Brixton to Soho because I think that's after Soho it all. Kind the door of you 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 hung up your apron for good then, didn't oh, you? Oh man, did that was the best six hours, the best day of my life hanging up that apron. But but equally at that point, uh, my confidence levels were sky high. I mean, just you know the queues, all the amazing reviews that we were getting down in Brixton. Uh, Jay Rayner was coming in, bit of a name drop. He gave us some really positive feedback. I mean, everyone. Um, talk about AA Gill, which we like to bring up. That was actually in Soho, but yeah, we got. I'd like to think we got pretty much every single food critic in the country come down and try our food then, mm-hmm. which is mad. A tiny little crazy for Brixton Village. Tiny little right? shoebox restaurant in Brixton Village. Crazy, we, crazy. We lured them all in, and we were just. We seemed to be in the in the in the metro. Every day, all the, the time. evening standard, evening standard back then. A standard, standard back then. And so, yeah, confidence is really high. So I set about kind of looking for second sight. I mean, we didn't have enough money to do it, but I guess we um, we we needed to raise some cash. But the idea was there, and I think the original site we were going to do was on Peter Street. That's I think right. it's now maybe it's next to a hairdresser's, but it all fell through. But fortunately, we had another option available on Maid Street, and um, uh, we paid a big premium to get into that site, didn't we? It was in a, it that was, was proper money, wasn't it? Was that about 175, I think, all in? Yeah, it was 175,000. We had Which some... actually isn't a lot of money now. Like we spend way more than that on restaurants. To do, yeah, to do a, a, a proper restaurant for 175 grand now would be well, it'd be an absolute fucking steal. Yeah. Well, we, it took 350 to build it, didn't it? We had to we had to throw was some. The premium 175. Yeah, the premium. Wow, I thought was the premium was like 75. No, it was over three 300, 350 all in that project. And um, that was a big punt. But we had a lot of cash from Brixton, so that helped. We raised a bit of money. And um, we opened in, what was it, 2012? Olympics. It was Olympics. Everyone was stressing. Phil was stressing about sales oh, after was, about yeah. two weeks. Well, it, was he was fucking, start- it was terrifying, right? Well, I was freaking out. I was like, well, I've just, we've got, I'm used to doing two-hour queues pretty much every night of the week in Brixton. We opened up here, and it was ghost town. Yeah, and I was like, we've been so arrogant. Like we're I on this thing. It wasn't like prominent street. marching up and down the restaurant, being like, we've been so arrogant, boys. We shouldn't have thought we could do this. No one knows like, who we are. We can't just rock up in Soho and think this is going to work. This is even this is even prominent Soho. I was like, I was like we're in some the cobbled fuck back out, street. Man. Just give it a few. <laughs> more I was like, days. let's get A boards everywhere and quotes yeah. on the A boards. Where's Rayner? We need him down here. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. 
But yeah, you did calm me down, and it, basically, the Olympics killed Zone One, didn't it? For yeah, oh, me. yeah. When did it get going properly? I can't remember how basically long it when took. the Olympics finished. Yeah, was it? Yeah, that it quick. jumped, jumped, and that's when we started to three. That's certainly where I was like, oh my god, we need, we need, we need actual chefs now. We need people to work. And, you know, we need a head chef position, which I don't think I'd ever even considered. And who did we hire? Who was the guy? Kerwin. Kerwin. Oh, oh man. He, he was he from... Threw a, he threw a ketchup bottle at him. I threw a glass ketchup bottle at him. He Ooh, for glass one. Yeah. Well, it didn't, it didn't hit him, but... Oh, it, all those stories coming yeah, up. That was, yeah, that was not my proudest moment. But to be fair, I won't Might explain why, because it wasn't Kerwin's finest moment either. But no, no, yeah, if yeah, you're listening, is. mate... You were you you were fucking he hilarious. Knows. <laughs> he was great. I saw him about two years ago at British Summertime Festival. I was queued behind him for the toilets and had That's a right old laugh oh, about mate. it. He was well, he just to say to everyone, thanks it. for coming in. Actually, it wasn't two years ago. It was about yeah. COVID. It was about three or four years ago. Thanks for coming in, boys. Oh, I, thank him, I thank him for that to this day. He he introduced <laughs> me to the greatest saying in restaurants of all time, which yeah. is anytime anyone does something remotely shit, he'll just turn around to you and go, thanks for coming in. <laughs> it's, so, it's good. so good it just brings oh, it just kills he, was, you. he cracked me up that guy I had some funny moments with him but yeah we I mean Soho started rocking and rolling after the Olympics and then it was like then I think then the kind of prep kitchen model really started to be our only option right because we were always struggling with food production and we still struggle with food production now at, at certain times of the year like it's really really a really important part of the three of us that we were completely and utterly devoted to making chips ourselves. There was, you know, we had some moments, we had dozens of moments where we were like, this is, we're going to, this is it. We can't do it. We're fucked. Like, but we made it work. And I think that does say a lot about what we, the, the kind of principles of the business back then and, and today. Yeah. I mean, that determination to keep homemade chips on the menu was, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was, just crazy, right? But well, even so, Tom Bing came in when we had our. He came in probably in a, within the first month of Brixton. He was really nice, and I, I recognised him from all the interviews he'd done. And he was really, really nice. And and but he said to us, he was like, you know, you saw you're doing homemade chips, and we were like, yeah, yeah, it's the best, it's amazing. And he was like, good luck with that. You'll that'll be the first thing to go. Yeah, it was a huge sacrifice from everyone, and still is, isn't it? But um, you know, that's I think that's a huge part of our success, really. I mean, it has to be said. Rosemary Salt as well was brilliant. Um, I think it was pretty unique back then. Well, it's um, just I remember just thinking that how do you stand out in a market that has been crowded for the last fifty years, and it's just getting more and more crowded, and you do two things how can one of them be something you can buy in like bookers or cash yeah. and carry, you know, like surely you have to, you have to go the extra mile and, and you have to have something that no one else can create. And that's, that was kind of what we did. Yeah. Right? yeah. Chips, chips with a bit of identity. That's all we wanted, wasn't it? Yeah. And now I think we all like a frozen chip. No one's got anything against a, yeah, a yeah, crispy they're, frozen they're, chip. That has its fine, place, but, but they're just fine, aren't they? They're like, they're fine, I, but they're I the do same wonder everywhere. whether we would have been as successful with a frozen chip. I don't Imagine how much easier it would have been. <laughs> there was a tinge of, you think we would have been? Yeah, yeah you're There's a, a bit mean, of me that thinks we might have been, but... More successful uh, or as successful? As successful. Just how? Well, I, I'm not sure that back then that the chips were the, the most important component, I think. We pushed the boundaries on cooking meat, medium, medium rare and rare, which no one else was doing, right? So I think... <laughs> Often by mistake, <laughs> but um, I think that was pretty important. I think we were breaking a lot of rules and regulations back then. 
I think for me, it's about it's it's a whole plate of of uniqueness, and that sounds about the wankiest thing I've ever said in my life. But like, if you go, there's only so much you can do with a frozen chip for it to not taste the same as another restaurant that uses that exact same chip. And and obviously, we know better than anyone why people don't do homemade chips because you're either one thousand percent committed, and it's a massive cost to you every single year. And you have an amazing supply chain and you know your farmer and you know the varieties. And let's face it, it's taken us probably eight yeah. years, I reckon, to get good at chips. I don't think I don't we haven't had a bad season now for two or three years. No, it's amazing that consistency. Yeah. yeah. And that's taken no, eight really years good. for us to really learn how to do it well all year round. Yeah. So I get why people wouldn't, you know, I mean, how many times have we nearly throw the towel in those first three years and you're just like, this is impossible. Oh, I totally get why why Tom Bing said what he said and why many people have said it since, but Well, we'd have okay. days of serving rubbish chips, wouldn't we? We'd be pulling our hair out with I used to get so stressed when the chips were bad. Yeah, soggy. Like, it was brown. depressing. I was like, We're gonna be done. If we keep this going for yeah. much longer, we'll have no business left. Yeah. Anyway, we figured it out, didn't we? And um, Soho, I'm not sure what happened after Soho. What came next? Camden. Camden. That was a nice oh, one. Oh, yeah. Camden was a nice one, wasn't it? That was a bit opportune, I think. Market site again, simple deal. Back to, back to Brixton model. I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't mention old Ray. Ray, Ray our Daw- project Ray manager. Ray Dawkins. Where are you now, Ray? Yeah, well, he's still out there, isn't he? Did a lot of, yeah. He was your Strata pal, wasn't he? He worked for Strada. He was the in-house project manager for Strada. And I think he was struggling back then. But, um, yeah, I mean, he was really useful, wasn't he? He was very entrepreneurial, to say the least. He'd go in and, like, kick walls down during the uh, exploratory he, phase of um, looking at restaurants I think and he stuff. used our, um, the exploratory phase of restaurants as a mild dose of therapy for himself. <laughs> yeah, probably. Cause probably because we weren't paying him very much money at the time. his fucking mind on a, on a, on a shop front before. <laughs> yeah. Like, cool, all right, Ray, save some money. No, I think he was helpful in those early stages for us to learn as well about fit-outs and what was required and how to go and look at property and assess whether it was suitable. So certainly helped me a lot. Which is property is, I'd say, probably one of the easiest ways to cripple a business, right? Making a bad property decision. Oh, if you look at you look at businesses that have, <clears throat> you know, expanded and then contracted, it's sometimes about the the you know, the way they've treated their people, have they cut corners, but largely oh, it's have they got too greedy. Jamie's Italian is the best example where they basically just took the most prime real estate available to them, right? That, that was multi-million pounds in everything, in fit-outs, in premiums. And as a result, when there's any form of pressures, you know, like at the moment, you just start hemorrhaging money, right? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think to choosing the right location for your brand is the key part of decision-making early on, right? If we'd got any of those early eight, nine, ten sites wrong, then, again, we wouldn't be sitting around the table now discussing because that gives you the foundations. And then you sort of earn the right to take some risks later on. You can try different locations, and if it doesn't work quite as well, it's not such a big deal. You have some flex and some slack in the business model to make to make cock-ups, and um, you have the financial clout to cope with it. So... I think those first eight, nine, ten even were really solid. They all performed super well. Very low rent model. I mean, this is really boring, but you know, when you have very little rent to pay, then it gives you a lot more opportunity to to make more profit to fund future openings. So 
you know, we we were pretty self-sufficient back then, cash yeah, yeah. cash wise. We were paying paying for the rollout ourselves until um until 2014 really when we mm-hmm. we took some bank debt and brought in uh, an investor. Big Do you investor. Talk about that because you you kind of spearheaded that process. Um yeah, I think I think I'd always had in my mind a a, a situation where we would uh, bring in someone with skills that we didn't have, uh, more commercial uh, thinking and a bigger network and fund a bigger expansion, you know, rather than doing small fundraising events over the years, bring in someone who had the money and the clout to, to open a load of sites, 20, 30, 40, 50, support international growth, um, you know, build a bigger team to run this business because I guess, you know, we knew we had limitations of what we could do on our own. So we're all, always going to need some help along the way. And they, you know, felt like they would be the conduit to to delivering all that for us along with some cash because, mm. um, you know, we'd, you know, being very frank, we'd been working for years earning no money. So we needed I, to earn some think, money as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we took some money off the table. Just That's, that's part of the, the deal, isn't it? But yeah. I think what might be interesting, and, I, and I'm... We don't really know who's going to be listening to this podcast, but I'd imagine it might be people who are starting out restaurant businesses. Um, and how? And I know a question I get asked an awful lot by by very young um, young businesses is how do you find people to invest in you? Yeah. So what would you? What was your process then? How did you actually get someone to to show interest? Because I, I guess that world must feel pretty fucking daunting and pretty far away for a lot of businesses. I guess, yeah, look, it's really difficult. I think it's maybe easier now than it was back then. Definitely. But, but the seed was planted. I mean, we didn't have crowdfunding back then. You know, that was really uh, in its infancy. That yeah. wasn't really an option. Uh, hadn't been tried and tested. It was a real risk around that. So that was probably wasn't a, uh, an ideal option for us. But the, the seed was planted in, in 2013 when Paul Campbell came to see us. I remember that. Oh, so yeah. I remember he let, he gave me a business card. Right? Yeah, I remember that day. Really nice guy, like in a nice suit, came up to me when I was in the kitchen in Soho, and I think I just walked out to chat to the barman, and he knew that I was one of the owners, and he just gave me this business card and was like, "Give us a call." Um, and I was like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" And I remember phoning you and being like, "Mate, some fucking dude called Paul Campbell." has just given me his business card, and you were like, "Holy shit! Like, that's yeah. a, that's a very we, big deal. we've made it." We've made yeah. it. No, he he was a big part of um, GBK, uh, and had done a bunch of other things before that, and then uh, was one of the first investors in Hawksmoor, yeah, uh, which um, had kicked off around that time and was doing very well. And yeah, I mean, he, he was obviously very entrepreneurial, trying to get uh, involved with Honest very early at a very cheap kind of investment rate. But yeah, I mean, that gave us it gave me a lot of confidence that we could. Uh, at the right time, go out and find great partners to come in and throw some money at this business and give us the support we need to take it on to the next level. And as Tom said, you know, we we quite liked the idea of it, making some money for ourselves as well because um, we hadn't done so at that point. And uh, yeah, we were broke and working hard. So yeah, we didn't pay not, ourselves anything. We've never it's taken, not, it's, it's it's not, not a in, single dividend has yeah. ever left this business to, to anyone. But yeah. in our pockets, we've never ever taken money out of this business. Have we? We've it's not an industry no, no, no. generally where you in. can pay yourselves. Well, I mean, depending how you grow the business, but for us, it wasn't an industry where you could pay yourselves huge amounts of money. But obviously, you can you can attract large amounts of money from investors if you want to, if that's the model you you choose. But how how did you? 
because was am I right in thinking it was Julian who who was our lawyer who is a wonderful human being and it is it sounds like a bit of a no-brainer but yeah any good business you need a fucking good lawyer right you need to have a good lawyer behind you for for a multitude of things not just if things go wrong but Julian was also very helpful in terms of how we find investment right yeah he was a huge part of the success um, and certainly a huge help to me in sort of learning about how to run and plan this business a bit better for the future. So he approached me many years ago uh, and essentially worked for us for nothing for quite a long time on a very, very cheap retainer. I think we were paying him a couple of hundred quid a month or something. So he took a punt and invested effectively in working with us um, with a view to, you know, being a part of the success in the future. So having him available was was massively important. So again, when people come and ask you uh, advice, Tom, about starting businesses, then I think having a great commercial lawyer supporting decision-making back then just takes away all the risk Yeah, um, and was was vital. And so so when we did start looking more seriously at, at investment, um, we also had a, a, a corporate finance guy uh, involved in the business, James Brown, of course, who was very helpful. Um, we had all the right skills. We had the right kind of mentality to to go and find the right partners and get the best deal. And we had no bank debt back then, so we were in a really amazing position to maximise our valuation. Yeah, yeah. And we 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 used some we, we used the banks and we used um, the private equity guys to come and put money in, and then yeah, it's it's got us to where we are today. I guess in in, in the you know in a national business all of a sudden. Nice. I'm gonna allow, I'm gonna I think maybe you start sort of thinking about wrapping this one up. Yeah. Maybe two questions to Dorian, put him on the spot. Oh, he hasn't two had a chance questions. to prepare this. I mean you just saw them. Favourite honest moment? Oh man. Or the worst honest moment. I guess you can decide which one you go first. Favourite honest moment. Tough question when you haven't had to Worst honest that. moment was working that first Sunday in Brixton <laughs> on my own. There was no one else to work on the floor, it was just me. And um <laughs> Uh, I'm not joking. We did 73, I think, for lunch on my own. I hadn't worked on the floor for about 20 years. 73, I think, is very specific for that. Yeah, I think, isn't it? Sure, it wasn't 74. Yeah, it could have been 63, but um, <laughs> I can't remember now. I've told this story so many times that number's gone up. Uh, I think it started at 20, no, to 70. Um, that was horrendous. And that I was thinking, fuck me, like I'm getting old. And that was back then. That was hard work. Um, I'd like to see you on the floor again, Dor. I can still do it. I can still do it. Will like, you still do it? No, but um, <laughs> I could still do it. We should like do a shift. The three of us should do a shift in, Brit- in Brixton with just the three of us. No support, no fucking parachutes, just us three. And then let's see if you can actually do it. You'd be the one that would, you'd be in trouble there. Hey, I've just come off the back of a festival, which I told you I did 380 covers on my own, okay? On my own, including breakfast. Don't worry about me. Best honest moment. If I'm, if I'm honest, I'm going to say sitting in the lawyer's office signing the deal with Active. But that would be pretty selfish. Uh, Fair enough. Well, that was, a bit, was a big moment. But look, because no, your career had gone. Yeah, you know, we were still. Yeah, you know, we were in a couple of years into our kind of career. But you've been going at this for a long time, as you've told us earlier. So. That is a big moment, right? Yeah, look, they've been back. amazing moments. I think some of the some of the best moments really has been, um, you know, delivering success to all the team as well. The bunch of people that have 
been along for the ride here and watching all those careers develop and grow and people go on and do other things as well. That's super satisfying, isn't it? And I know that's really important to you as well uh, mm. and you, Tom. But, you know, seeing people come into this business, learn and develop and go on and do great things. And um, I think that will be a big mark of success for this business in the future to look around over these years and see who else has gone on to do shit. Because, um, yeah, when I go back to my Strata days, that team are all out there now, you know, doing great doing things. Stuff, yeah. I know. Um, I, I always find it it's very surreal when you look at time. You look at that. We've all got a very limited amount of time on this planet, and you get people who will give us six years of their lives or seven years of their lives. You know, we've got mm. um, we've got all sorts of, of um, people that have worked crazy amounts of years for us, and you're like, that's mad. You, you're you're happy to give us that large chunk of your career, and that makes good. me feel really proud. Yeah. Well, it's important that they get something out of it as well, right? In terms of career and uh, not just financially, but yeah. build and develop their their opportunities. I, I think more. I'm a little bit disappointed more people haven't gone on to do their own businesses, but I guess the the climate at the moment is prohibitive. So maybe couple, maybe that yeah. will come. We've got a cockfighter, cockfighter. You've got yeah. Marco in, in Corsica. You got there's a couple out there that don't know anything. No. Well, feel like you guys the, are next. <laughs> Phil likes to credit Lil Kana's musical career as well. <laughs> yeah, well, you wrote a few lyrics for him, didn't you? <laughs> Good old, yeah. I'm not sure I can take the credit. <laughs> Say anything, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. We're some, some good people, haven't we? Yeah, no, it's been an incredible few years. So um, now it's the next phase, isn't it? Yeah. The challenges. Tough, this tough is year uh, ahead, I think, can Yeah. Crazy, yeah, I mean, crazy uh, times. I don't think it's a, it's a perfect storm of pressures now. And I think I read something in the... Um, hospitality thing last week that's one in three restaurants in the country are profitable at the moment wow and yeah from it's the pressures pressures are real people um so yeah get yourself down to any of your favorite restaurants not just us we all need support right now yeah it's a fucking torrid time for not the restaurant businesses it's nice to hear and reminisce as we've done on many of these podcasts but yeah in present day life is not easy is it no so, uh, and it, i think just doing these podcasts actually has made me realize that we've had some fun stories and some issues along the way but we've never really had a problem to speak of to be honest have we compared to what we're sort of facing into what the industry faces into over yeah. the last well, i don't think any few years and, and going forward i yeah. think that no one's ever so yeah i think we've had a, we've lived a reasonably charmed life for the last 10 years haven't we so we're probably due a couple of uh yeah and it didn't feel that charmed at times but yeah you look at the environments now whether it's you know, Brexit feels like a fucking walk in the park, to be honest with you, compared to the pressures that are coming. Uh, yeah, well, most most industries, but certainly hospitality feels like it's in the eye of the storm. So on that somber yeah. note, <laughs> let's finish up. And uh, yeah, and thanks, Dor, Cheers, for Dor. coming down. Oh, you're, um, you're welcome. It's always good to chat, guys. Thanks for everything. I think you've been like a father figure to oh, us. Oh, here, we go, here we go, here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Um, and yeah, I'll let you have that one. What a uh, what a, what a, what a ride, man! Cool. If you've got any questions or you want to get in touch, please drop us a message. The email is podcast at honestburgers.co.uk, and then as always, give us a follow on TikTok and Instagram at honestburgers. We really hope you've enjoyed listening, and thank you for tuning in.